Hello and welcome to this bonus episode of Ocean Matters. I'm Izzy Clark, the producer of this series from the Bertarelli Foundation, and these bonus podcasts are a chance for us to revisit topics and explore extra content from the main episodes. In episode three, we heard about the impressive projects that are eradicating rats in order to save seabirds and therefore reefs around the world. But even if we were able to wave a magic wand and remove all of the rats tomorrow, is that enough to protect our seafaring feathered friends? Pete Carr is an expert on birds in the Chagos archipelago, and we heard from him in the main episode. And as brilliant as it would be to remove all of the rats from these important seabird islands, Pete explained to Helen Chersky that the next step would be to restore island vegetation. What's happened on most islands is the interior and right up to the coast has been cleared of native vegetation. And that's not just native oceanic forest, that's savanna, scaviola mixed shrub has all been cleared out. And these monospecific stands of coconuts have been put in their place. And if you think about coconuts, what they do, if they're not managed, they drop their nuts and trees go up between trees. And and in the end, after about 10 to 15 years, when coconuts are no longer managed, it, it's a total biodiversity desert underneath them because every bit of light shaded outside. And certainly in the research areas where I've been working, the only things that like coconut chaos, as we call it, but these, these abandoned coconut plantations are mosquitoes because it's dark and damp, rats and quite often on many of the islands that I've worked on chickens believe it or not because poachers or illegal fishermen uh, come along and throw chickens out and the chickens like roaming around inside them again but if you think about the architecture of a coconut tree if you think of a perfect seabird nesting tree it's a great big sprawling thing with big limbs going out that seabirds nest all along and and there's space for them to fly in and land. Well, a coconut tree is one trunk going up with a load of fronds coming out that, for example, where I work in the Chagos Archipelago, I have seen in my 20 years of research out there, three red-footed boobies nesting in coconut trees. And that's, you know, over 10 years. So I've probably seen 100,000 breeding pairs of red-footed booby. They really are sinks of biodiversity. If there were native species that were going to be brought back, what species should be there? Every restoration project on an oceanic island will have a suite of species, normally a suite of species, that you're trying to recover. So, for example, on a perfect tropical island in the Indian Ocean, you would eradicate the rats and then you would convert the abandoned plantations into, for example, savanna, some savanna, because that's where these ground nesting species that like open areas. So so you would cut down and keep down trees from growing there. So you've got sooty turn nesting places. And then you would just put in the native trees because, you know, that that's what was supposed to be on the island. And, you know, and in the Indian Ocean, that this is fish poison tree, Barantona asiatica. It will be um, Calophyllum, which is the, the big Takamaka trees. And these great big oceanic rainforest climax trees that, that if you go to any island in the Indian Ocean, you will see straight away. That's where your red-footed boobies are nesting. That's where your frigate birds are nesting. So 
just putting back native trees. So let's let's go through the stages of if you get rid of the rats, you put some native trees back. How are the seabirds going to change their behaviour? What happens next for the seabirds after getting rid of the rats and putting some trees there? Well, on most most seabirds, once they're out of the nest, they they get they get sort of looked after by the parents for a little while. For example, red-footed boobies, they they get about six months grace by their parents where they hang around the nest and and get fed the odd fish. But after about a year. The parents literally kick them out of the house. Uh, and in the case of red-footed boobies, it takes them between four and seven years to reach sexual maturity, where, where they'll find a partner and nest. Well, that's great, isn't it? Because the trees can be growing while they're out uh, growing up. Correct. <laughs> and, and what they do is, is we know from some of the tracking work that we've done is that the birds wander around the islands for a while. And, and we haven't got all the information yet, but we think they actually wander around the Indian Ocean a bit. And certainly things like um, sooty terns, we know from studies in the Seychelles, move all around the Indian Ocean when they're youngsters. They're looking to see what's available for them. We think that there is a strong urge to return back to the island where they bred from. But we know from studies all around the world, that's not always the case. So what they're looking for is, first of all, a place to roost because seabirds often roost on different islands from where they're breeding. It progresses on, you know, they get old enough and, and there's, there's others of a different sex around. And, and that's what we're hoping that they find, that the conditions that we've created on these restored islands are what these founding populations are looking for. None of these things are easy, but it does sound as though in this case, there's, these are relatively quick processes in that you you can if you want get rid of rats quite quickly and you can if you want plant a lot of trees quite quickly and it it sounds optimistic if you want to does is that am i being too optimistic here helen i i, I wrote something a while back about restoration of tropical oceanic islands and i said it's not a green dream anymore it's a matter of political will and funding the technology is there the expertise is there you can do it anywhere in the world now I mean, they, they've restored islands in the sub-Antarctic that, that are like 10 kilometres wide. So restoring, you know, tropical islands, there, there, are, there are some complexities involved there, it, but it's easily achievable if there's enough funding and the will to do it. And have you got any experience of that, you know, seeing these restoration projects take place in, in other parts of the world? I have. I was really lucky to be part of the, uh, and I'm using this word deliberately, the incredible rat and mice eradication from Lord Howe Island last, uh, the year before last, 2019. Lord Howe Island is a stunningly beautiful mountainous island about halfway between South Australia and New Zealand. It's subtropical. It's it's the shape of a dumbbell with a mountain on the left-hand side of the island and a mountain on the right-hand side of the island and, and a big strip of low-lying area in the middle. It's the largest ever eradication of rats and mice on an inhabited island. It was an amazing project. We had two helicopters aerially baiting the mountains and we had a team of 15 internationals, of which I was one flown in to do ground baiting within the community where there's hotels and farms and, and, and real people, which, which was so groundbreaking. And the other wonderful part of that is that 
75% of the people that worked on their project were Lord Howians. They were from the island. The incredibly good news is, is that since we left the island in November 2019, there's not been a rat or mouse seen. They have already got mass boobies breeding back on the mainland, which has never been seen in anyone's memory. 99% of the population of a bird called Providence Petrel breeds on that island. They've had their most successful breeding seasons ever. And there's a funny little chicken type bird called a Lord Howell Woodhen that is now becoming a pest by running all around the hotel gardens. And, and, and there was only 300 of these birds known to be in the world. And, and their population has something like double in the year where they're not being eaten by rats and mice. What a great project. Did they need on that island to restore the trees as well? Or was it just about the mice and rats? Um, there is a huge, huge revegetation programme going on on Lord Howe. There are a couple of seabirds that breed in trees there, but the majority are petrels, the, these nocturnal seabirds that burrow underground. They're more interested in restoring trees and native vegetation there for the endemic snails, for the endemic mantises that occur there. So, so it's as much for biodiversity, not just for seabirds, why they're restoring trees there. But that project is going to be running for ooh, 25 years, I think they've got funding for. And what does it feel, you know, you've you've worked on this these restoration projects in other places and you do your work, you go away. Sometime later, I guess, you come back or you hear about the results. How does that feel? I had a correspondence from the biosecurity officer on Lord Howe about three days ago saying, yep, yeah, Pete, we still haven't seen a rat or a mouse here. It's the greatest feeling in the world because you know that you as an individual are making a really important change in the world and it's a change for good. And we don't all get the opportunity in our lives to have a really big difference um, for how things are going on. So so to, to be part of these projects is, is a real soul-lifting, heartening experience. And just finally, over the years you've been working with Seabird, you must have seen changes in attitudes of the humans that are, you know, looking at these islands. How optimistic are you? If you're looking ahead now, you know, do you, do you think that this has been heard and it's happening? Or do you think this is, you still feel like you're banging the drum trying to get someone to listen? I'm an optimist and I don't think I would be in the trade of restoring oceanic islands if I wasn't. But, but if I think back 15 years ago, maybe even 10 years ago, the things that were happening to seabirds, um, like you know, bycatch of fisheries, was was shocking, and it was shocking because we didn't even know it was happening or or the impact it was having. And I do believe that all the measures that are being put in to prevent things like bycatch from fisheries, a they're working, and b most of the companies that are involved in these operations are saying, oh. Right. Well, yes, yeah, certainly will help out with that. I'm not saying that's the case everywhere. And, you know, there are some glaring instances where that isn't true. But if you think back where we were even 10 years ago, Helen, to, to where we are now, most people are realising that, A, the ocean isn't an inexhaustible resource. 
that it does need looking after and part of the component of looking after the ocean is you've got to look after the seabirds. Narrow that down to getting rid of hooks, you know, that, that snag seabirds. Part of that is restoring these oceanic islands so there is nutrient transfer that boosts coral reefs around. So, so I'm an optimist. I think it's not perfect. I don't think it's ever been perfect and I don't think it ever will be perfect. But I think we're in a much better place than we were even 10 years ago. Thank you to Pete Carr. And that's it for this bonus episode. If you haven't already, please subscribe to Ocean Matters so you're the first to know when the next episode is out. And next time, we'll be exploring the problem with plastic. I'm Izzy Clark, and Ocean Matters is a fresh air production for the Bertarelli Foundation. <laughs>